It's nice to see your smiling face once again. Uh, I hope you're having a reasonable day. Welcome to another episode of the Anhedonic Headphones Podcast. It's me, your boy, Kevin Krein, a.k.a. Kevy Fly. This is the 46th episode overall of this program, and it is the third episode of Season 8. And you know how we do it. I save the fine print for the end. And we have nothing but illustrious guests. And the guests continue to be illustrious. Today's guest, no exception, a Philadelphia-based musician who performs under the band name Swim Camp. Please welcome to the show, as you are able, Tom Morris. First and foremost, thank you so much for being willing to be a guest on the show and for coming up with a list of songs. Um, a lot of these I knew, some of them I did not know, and I am very fascinated by the uh, kind of emphasis in some genres and then a little bit of everything else. And so I'm, I'm eager to, to hear the stories behind these. But before we get into any of that, do you want to just take a quick, mo- quick moment to introduce yourself to everybody who uh, is out here in podcast land? Sure. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone in podcast land. Um, my name is Tom. Um, I play uh, music as a band called Swim Camp I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, and I'm excited to talk about some music tonight. Um, are you originally from Philly or did you like and just yeah, end up? I, okay. okay. I, I grew up in, in a suburb uh, just okay. west of West Philly called Howard. Okay. Okay. Yeah. West Philadelphia, born and raised. You would be like, w- yeah, like way? suburb West. West okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and so one of the questions that I ask folks who are involved in anything with the arts, mm-hmm. um, whether it be writing or songwriting or performing, um, over the last two years, two and a half years with the way the world has shifted, mm-hmm. how, ha- ha- has it been difficult for you to remain creative or has it like how, like how have you adapted and like what has changed for you in terms of like writing, performing, recording, or is it, has it been kind of the same as it was, you know, pre money? Yeah. I think, um, I don't think there's been many like changes to the way that I work necessarily. I think, um, I've, I've always, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a little bit now and, and I think my, my MO was always like strike while the iron's hot. Um, just, you know, it's, there's going to be periods where I don't feel like, you know, writing music or recording or whatever it is. Um, and then there's going to be periods where it comes really naturally to me. And, and, um, so I've, I've always just tried to like, when I'm able to be writing and recording and, you know, whatever, I was just like, try to give myself as much space as possible to do that. And I think the way that the pandemic sort of affected that just like sort of naturally everyone kind of, or maybe not everyone, I should speak for myself. I had more time to myself to kind of do that stuff. So I wouldn't say that I was, you know, that I've had major changes to my process, but I think I've given the same process. Like it's, it's almost become sort of like, cemented a little bit more i think okay. it's it's more um you know i've i've taken like like i'll 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 block off more specific time now to be like okay i'm gonna like work this weekend on you know xyz thing whatever it is um whereas before i guess it was maybe a little bit more haphazard but um yeah i think that that's probably it but yeah okay. not no no real like major you know okay. 
Yeah, maybe the the periods between like when I'm productive, I think have gotten longer. So yeah, not that I'm less productive overall, but just that I'm there are longer periods of not being productive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to hear from different people about this because some folks were like, "I was down so bad, I couldn't do anything," and mm-hmm. other people are like, "This changed." a lot and opened a lot more opportunities in terms of like connecting with people remotely and like Mm -hmm. reaching out in ways that they had never thought to do before. So I just, it's been like, it's a terrible state of affairs, but it has been kind of interesting for me to just glean how everyone is doing with the art that they make because it's diff. It's just been different for everybody. Totally. Yeah. I think if, if swim camp was more of a collaborative project, it would, my answer would probably be a lot different and would, you know, if it was, I don't think I would have been doing anything to be honest. (laughs) Um, I'm sort of lucky in that it's, in that it's insular. You know, I, I, I kind of miss uh, collaboration every now and then. Um, and, and I do have, you know, friends who I can rely on for, you know, whether it's, it's, playing parts which is pretty rare that that happens or if it's like even like mixing or notes or whatever like I do have people that I can can rely on but yeah I think I think the the state of this band would be a lot different if it was like a collaborative writing project sure. for sure yeah So with the songs that you sent over for the conversation t- today, what kind of metric did you use to pick these? Because um, like, are these just like inspirate, like things that inspired you, things that hit you at different times in your life? Or like, how did you pick these 10 specifically? Yeah, I kind of like when you when you gave me the the idea, I sort of just like I kind of let it happen. uh um like spontaneously i just i just let whatever wanted to bubble to the surface bubble to the surface um and i think some of them are definitely i mean and i'm sure as you know having looked at the list i'm sure you could look at it and be like okay yeah that's probably like a a, a point in your life sort of song versus yeah, like something. yeah yeah um so i think i think some of them definitely like, like there is a nostalgia factor to it um and then but with all of them i think there is like um there's an some of it I think is inspirational, but more than that, it's like, it's like, these are often, they're just songs that I can listen to. And like, it doesn't inspire me. It's just like, I just want to like, listen to it, you know, and like, enjoy it Um, and not, not feel like, I feel like a lot of times I, I listen to music through like a, an analytical kind of mindset where I'm like trying to break it down. And I don't, you know, I don't, I like listening to music like that because I think it's fun. Yeah. There's this, uh, this, uh, um, 
I think it's an essay by C.S. Lewis that has always stuck with me. Um, I forget which what it's actually called. It might be God in the Dock or it's from God in the Dock or something like that. But he talks about this, this you're in a shed and there's a crack in the wall of the shed. And from the outside, you can kind of look and you see a beam of light coming in from the crack in the wall and you can observe the beam of light. You know how long it is. You kind of you have all these facts about it. And he was like, and that's one one perception of it. But if you go and you stand along the beam and you look up through the crack, you can see outside. You can see like the, the reality beyond just the, the shack itself. And I think that's kind of like the two things that we're talking about yeah. right now. It's like putting on that analytical brain of like, how long is this line versus mm-hmm. like listening to the music and kind of looking up at it and yeah. seeing the beauty for what it is and not being analytical, you know? I like that. I should read yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's great. I was kind of surprised at how much I was surprised and delighted at how much jazz is on here. And so yeah. right at the top of the list, you have self-portrait in three colors by Charles Mingus. And so like, I assume that you are a jazz guy based mm-hmm. on this, all the, like at least three of these tunes being mm-hmm. like, well, from well-known jazz performers. But I mean, you make, you know, specific kind of guitar based indie music how do you like do you listen to a lot of jazz or like how do you get it like what is your access point for the genre and like specifically with this first tune by mingus like where are we with this one in your life and how is this one on the list yeah yeah um i i definitely grew up in like a a household that like my dad is a musician but he wasn't necessarily a jazz guy. Okay. Um, but we were, I was just like around music constantly. And I would, I took a lot of different music lessons and one of them happened to be trumpet. And um, my trumpet teacher turned me on to Miles Davis when I was, I don't know, probably like 10 years old or something like that. Um, and I really loved it. And then, and I kind of, after that, I like stopped taking lessons and kind of fell out of it. And then um, the the jazz program, like the, the, the jazz music program at my high school was really like cool and good. And it was, so that was kind of, you know, the friendships that I made there was, was really where a lot of my discovery of the music kind of restarted. Um, and I think like those are kind of formative years musically. I think that's like when a lot of people are really kind of figuring out what they actually like. And like, I know a lot of my, my peers in like indie music, you know, they're listening to Modest Mouse and, you know, um, like Pavement and all these like cool bands. And those are not bands that I was listening. I was just listening to jazz the whole time, like jazz and fusion, um, which has been interesting because, you know, once I kind of started this project and, and, and got kind of more interested in indie music i feel like i'm playing catch up to a certain extent trying to trying to like listen back to the classics that people have been listening to for years and years
Um, but with Mingus in particular, um, I got the first thing that I that I ever listened to, to by him was um, Mingus, 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 Mingus. Like it's the, he just the, it's five times that <laughs> his last name. He's got some funny album titles, um, and he's his. I mean, he's a great bass player, um, and I think that that's pretty undeniable. But um, the the thing that I think I appreciate him about the most. Um, and especially with this song in particular, "Self Portrait in Three Colors," is his his knack for arrangement. Because um, the he he kind of plays it's it's almost an orchestra. It's I don't know exactly how many pieces it is, but probably you know nine or ten ish. A lot of horns, um, and he's he's writing all the music and he's arranging everything. And I think this this song in particular is um, again you know looking at the analytical side of things versus the the emotional side of things. I think it's it's really like just it, it moves me every time I listen to it it's I, I get very emotional when I listen to it um it it's um it's reflective and introspective um you know in in a way that is sort of ineffable which is kind of like not necessarily a helpful answer answer for, for a podcast <laughs> but yeah there's just something about it that's cool um no, You're but, like, but uh got a good beat and you can dance to it next, yeah next yeah time. totally yeah, yeah it's, it's a real footstep foot stamp or whatever um <laughs> but um but i think the the analytical side of it is is just like the way that the because it's it's just sort of the same you know i don't know exactly how long it is but let's say like 16 bar phrase that just repeats itself and then there's layers added on each time it repeats and there's there's chaos and there's dissonance and conflict that don't necessarily resolve and it but there's something beautiful in that lack of resolution um and i just think like this is this is like a a song that i would like put on and just like look out a window and like have thoughts you know and just like <laughs> just like experience life a little bit you know i think it's it's, yeah. it's a song that that makes me feel like there's certain i think certain songs that um that get you going and get your 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 juices flowing and i think this song it makes me feel the opposite of that like it's like a sedative in you know it, it makes my brain feel quiet which is really nice yeah a lot i that there is like a stark contrast in jazz where it's like some of it is so pensive and somber at times. Like all mm. you can do is just gaze out of a window longingly. Yeah. And... Just remember how things used to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else about this one before we switch gears with the next tune? Um, yeah. I, I think I also just, yeah. On like a, a bigger note about Mingus, I just think his, his ability to write parts for, instruments that are not the bass because he's a bass player i yeah. think i think that's it's pretty remarkable his sort of feel overall he's also just like like a huge badass like historically <laughs> he just he's if you don't know charles mingus like read about him he's like a super cool dude he also like the late in the in the 70s and like later in the 70s he worked with Joni mitchell a lot yeah i um, remember that yeah I, I, and, and I think that was a lot of people's like especially like uh, people who weren't in jazz, that was their sort of like entree into him. Um, so it's kind of, it's a weird jumping off point, um, but they're, they're re- it's a really cool collaboration. Like I remember when I first started listening to Mingus, my mom was like, oh, that guy who used to play bass for Joni Mitchell. And I was like, ah, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so, yeah.
So we're kind of drastically switching tone here with the next one. Um, yeah. And this is like a nice iconic slice of my childhood for sure. Uh, Sting, Fields of Gold. Um, yeah. Taking you back to 1993. Um, oh, big time. So is this one of the like kind of nostalgia ones for you or like how did this yeah. end up on the list? Yeah, totally. This is this was actually like when I when I was thinking about you know, initially songs, this was actually the first one that came into my head. It wasn't the first one that I wrote down. Um, I, I I like, it's a great song. Yeah. Yeah. I have like a, a true, like unironic love for music from like the late eighties and early nineties. I think, I think, um, that's like when I, I was born in 1991. So, um, you know, I obviously wasn't super aware of, you know, things at that point, but like, you know, it was, it was some of my first experiences with music. Like I just, we had, we had the, the record that this was on 10 summoners tales. We had like a, a, a tape of that, that I oh, would, yeah. that we would listen to. I and... still have my tape of this. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. Oh man. Now I like, I'm like thinking oh, I should get one. Yeah. I don't know what happened to it. Um, and this song, I think this song, um, is, it, it is nostalgic for me and it's, it's like sort of, um, irrevocably that's like a harsh word but like it's intrinsically there we go like linked (laughs) with with a certain time of my life and you know just kind of being a little kid and and whatever but even when I was a little kid I remember listening to the song and like being like like crying and being like holy shit like this is oh can I curse here yeah you can okay okay, yeah cool (laughs) Um, (laughs) um great um and uh just being like really uh, moved by by the the, the song that it makes you it made me like long for stuff that I as a little kid like didn't even know existed um, it's really I don't know it's it's really beautiful again I think and I think like um, I think there's there's a lot of um, like the parts are really good. It's all really subtle. And I think you could, again, you could probably listen to it through, you know, from today's vantage point and think that it's like all like the synth strings sound cheesy and, you know, all this stuff is like overwrought and whatever, but I still like, I'll listen to it and be as moved as I was when I was a little kid. Like, I just think it's like a perfect song. Children run 
Actually, we were, I was supposed to do like a cover compilation, um, maybe like a year ago. I wound up falling through, unfortunately, but I, this was the song that I was going to do. And I like learned it on guitar and I was like really psyched about, <laughs> about recording this for this comp. And I just unfortunately never did, but maybe I will. Who knows? Did you, were you going to like deconstruct it down to be like acoustic or anything or is it going to yeah, be like yeah. similar to kind of like the swim camp vibe of, totally. like, of like downer indie rock yeah that was that was it was going to be like a slow core version nice. nice it like it basically already is though you know like it's yeah just, it's gussied up in a way but like yeah i think i think it, it it lends itself really well like i have some like just like you know scratch demo stuff on my phone and it like it kind of works you know like it it it's I think like when I said that I was going to do it, everyone that who was involved thought I was like doing it ironically. And then I like sent it to them and they were like, Oh, this is actually kind of sick. I'm like, yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. There is something, I mean, like it is so like, there's like a terrible sense of melancholy, but it's a beautiful melancholy in this song. And like the, like the more I've, I mean, I think I was like maybe nine or 10 when this came out and mm-hmm. I, I bought this cassette because sting was inescapable yeah the song was everywhere and that feeling like yeah i was too young to understand it but you feel it and then now so many years later i'm like yeah that's still like it is it is subtle but it's also very kind of like theatrical in the way it the elements are there for something to be extra kind of dramatic, but oh, yeah. there's like a restraint that he uses, which I, I really appreciate. Yeah. It's, it's completely like, it's also the, if you've ever seen the music video for it, it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's insane. Like it is, it is, he is like off. Like, I feel like, yeah, there's, there is some, something going on in his brain, but you're right. It like it, it, it should be this kind of like overwrought mess, like just like garble and whatever, but it's like, it works, you yeah. know, it's, it's beautiful. I think like the C section, I think there's like that, it kind of lifts in the C in the like bridge or C section, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and just like, I, I'm also not really much of like a lyrics guy overall. Like I'm just, I think when I, when I sit down and listen to music, it's not the first thing that grabs me. And the, but the lyrics on this song really, they'd like, especially that that bridge it's just like i don't i don't remember exactly what they are but but he's talking about making promises yeah. and breaking mm-hmm. them and all this kind of stuff and it's just like oof that like it feels very human i don't know honestly i think i think there is there's something there's there is something about him and his performance and whatever that it just it makes everything 
I think like genuinely a lot of his songs suck, but then you listen to it and it's great. You know, it's I mean, like, it he, sucks, but it's good. He's got some, he has some misses, but he also like when he, when it works, it really works. I like think. that. Fuck that. Like, is it desert rose or yeah, desert rose? Yeah. That song should suck. Right. You listen to it and it's like, it, if anyone uh, else did it besides Sting, it would be the worst song that you've ever it heard. Not, but, and it's really something. It's really something. Peter Gabriel, Salisbury Hill. This is, I mean, an iconic song, but yeah. like, it's also like an older Peter Gabriel tune. Mm-hmm. So, like, how are we getting into this one with you? Is this like a nostalgia one, or is this... yeah, this is this is like less of a nostalgia one, or it's like more recent nostalgia, I guess. Uh, still, kind of like you know when I was growing up, but um, I just. I would say it's less less nostalgic just because like I still like I love Genesis like I think Genesis both during Peter Gabriel and post Peter Gabriel I think is like one of the best bands of all time oh, I, Obviously, love, I, I ride so hard for Phil Collins like you have yeah been- it's really sad like seeing him today because they just like wheel him out and he can't like really do anything anymore but like back in the day that dude he I, I mean I, I, I grew up as a drummer and so like I always appreciated his drumming and then like you know aside from that I think the music that they were making was was really sick it's it's sad to see because I feel like a lot of the like especially as a drummer like a lot of the like dudes who like get recognition as like a mainstream drummer like they're not usually like like Neil Pert for example R.I.P. but you know <laughs> like everyone talks oh my god Neil Pert whatever and it's like it's like, yeah, I don't know many drummers who like Neil Peart, you know? Yeah. But, like, I know a lot of drummers who really rock with Phil Collins because that dude can play and he can sing and he can do the whole thing, you know? And he's yeah. a great songwriter or whatever. But anyways, we're talking P- Peter Gabriel. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to honor the the sort of Genesis gang, I guess, in some way. Um, but, yeah, this song, this was, this was definitely a song that was introduced to me through my dad. Um, he... Um, I, like I mentioned, he was a musician, he was a guitar player, he's a great guitar player. And, um, he would just like kind of have this on in the car pretty regularly. And I just like vividly remember having like a a conversation with him where he, he was like really psyched about the fact that this song was in seven. He was like, yeah, you can count it like in seven. And I remember I was like at a time in life where that was really cool to me. I was like, Oh my (laughs) God, like that is the sickest thing ever. Um, and again, it's, 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 it's a song that like, so yeah, there, there is that nostalgic thing where it makes me think about my, my relationship with my dad and, you know, learning about music and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, I remember like the, the, the part, I mean, it's maybe like two thirds of the way through the song where like the big electric guitar, you know, 
chords come in that just sort of ring out. My dad would always get super fired up about that. And, I, and so like, there's definitely that side of things. But then again, you listen to it and it's just like, this is a real, it's a really cool song. Um, like, like, I think, I think it's, it's a song. It is in seven, but it does, it's not like, um, I think a lot of those, I think a lot of songs that are in sort of like odd time signatures or like non-standard time signatures, you can tell, right? Like, it's like, it sounds like it. It sounds like they're trying to do a thing. Um, with this song, it's like, no, that's just like the riff is in seven. Like it just, it just works. You know, it sounds right. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't feel right if it was in eight or if it was in three or whatever it was. Um, and so I kind of, I like how effortless that, that it, it is. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I guess similar maybe to fields of gold. Like it, it makes me nostalgic for like, england or something like <laughs> like i don't even know what it what like I'm for my for my homeland for my for yeah my- yeah i'm not even i'm not I'm, that's not where my family's from but like but like i'm like yeah i want to go to salisbury hill you know like i would want to like hang out in the fields of gold that sounds fucking awesome There is such a sense of whimsy in this song, just yeah. the way the instrumentation is. And mm-hmm. it, it's very admirable that like Peter Gabriel is a daring enough artist to pull that off so effortlessly, because I think anybody else, it, it would be like, all right, relax, guy. What do you got going on? Here? Yeah. You got this jaunty rhythm. You got you got wind instruments happening. Like, what is going on? There's You're talking like, about yeah. Talking about hills, yeah. yeah. And then there's like, like instrumentally, there's like, it's like world music, which is like a lot of what yeah. was, I mean, it was huge at the time. But like, I think again, world music can come off really 
wacky and like especially looking at it through like a 2022 lens it's like ooh, that's like not even just like philosophically not good yeah Um, yeah but i i don't again i don't think this song is 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 it doesn't stand out in the song right it just like works for me yeah um Um, do you i mean outside of this one is there a lot of other peter gabriel like i mean i know he's not he was not very prolific yeah eventually as a solo artist but like are there other peter gabriel songs that you totally glom onto at all yeah i think um sledgehammer sledgehammer baby yeah you know the vibes that's a great one um as somebody who was raised on cable television the video for that yeah just like as a child i was mesmerized by totally Is that, is that like, it's like all like stop motion-y kind of Yeah, it's of all thing. like stop motion yeah. claymation. It's it's just absolutely wild. And I think yeah. I was so young when that came out and I was just like, we need the 45 for this song. Yeah, yeah. We, I was like, who is this? What is happening? Totally. Um, yeah, so I'd say Sledgehammer. Shock the Monkey is another one that's, he's like, he's got like a lot of like very groovy songs, which I really like. Um, and then he has this one, uh i don't know exactly what it's called games without frontiers yeah that is that's a really dark song yeah i do really like that one a lot um that's from it's from like the early 90s the album we put out um yeah that is a uh that's a good one i like that one yeah and i just i really think like he is a, a like you know the more that i i wasn't alive when when a lot of his like you know his he was rising to fame and all that kind of stuff but like hearing about his sort of knack for performance and like just sort of like what a showman he was um obviously it it led to the end of his involvement with genesis because they kind of didn't want to go in that like sort of you know super pop star kind of direction but i like i respect that i respect that he had a vision for what he wanted to do and he was so determined towards that vision that he he left the band that ultimately yeah. gave him you know he that was cutting him his checks and kind of struck out and did his own thing so i really res- I, I think he's i think he's fascinating um i i don't know much of his music these days i think he just like performs with orchestras and stuff now but i mean the last thing that i was aware that he had done were those orchestral arrangements of his back catalog which are I mean, some of it is really compelling. Yeah. Some of we it could, is oh, dude, a little less so. There's there's the one they use um, in the, I think it's in the first season of Stranger Things. Yeah, it's an know. orchestral version of Heroes. Yeah, we can yeah. be Heroes. And that's like yeah. the, oh my God. That was, it was perfect. It was a perfect placement. It was a perfect song. It was, yeah. Like, again, it kind of cheesy, but like really good. I mean, it was so, it was one of the only times that they kind of, I mean, I have not kept up with that program yeah the first season of it i thought was impressive for what it was i appreciated their dedication to the time period with the music and everything it was one of two times that they broke the confines of Mm -hmm. the era it was supposed to take place in right with the music and i appreciated that it was a song from the 80s but they were using a different version of it and it really worked within that scene yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because that could that yeah, that's so earnest. It could have been like a train wreck. Totally. And outside of that moment, I mean, it. The moment really helps that song. Like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you listen to it on its own, it's like okay, yeah, this is impressive. Whatever. Like it's very dizzying with the way the strings are arranged. Yeah. But just in that, the way that was framed is. Uh, I think about that a lot actually. Um, that that specific scene. 
yeah it's it's great it's uh yeah it was like kind of a master class in in yeah just like tone you know yeah. like, like the the suspense the payoff the mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff it was yeah, yeah it, was, it was really good yeah that's like I, I I like rewatched the first season after you know maybe there was another season coming out and it hit me exactly as hard as it did the first time maybe even harder because I knew it was happening you know. So we're moving back into some jazz and you had mentioned that you were introduced to Miles Davis as a 10 year old, which is, I mean, that's probably absolutely mind blowing to say the least. Cause I, I mean, I got into jazz as a teenager and like, I got into like the more accessible Miles Davis when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot of Miles Davis, which is very inaccessible Mm -hmm. at times and kind of like confrontational in the way he is performing. And so, like, this is the kind of like a later album, Nefertiti. Um, yeah. Like, in terms of Miles Davis and your kind of entry point to him, like, was this the song, or are there other ones, or like, how did you? Oh yeah, this no. one for the list. Yeah, this was definitely not my like entry into my my entry into Miles Davis was um was kind of blue. Yeah, kind of blue is just like fucking classic album. Yeah, that was, and it was like I learned. I had to like transcribe the solo from um, uh, what the hell? So what? So what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was so what. Are you um, gonna ever launch a jazz side project called Jazz Camp and just do jazz you arrangements know, I, of your I'll own never, songs? <laughs> I'll never rule anything out. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I can rule that out. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> 
yeah this the, but then so so i think yeah if you're if you're not familiar with miles davis i think he he um is one of the more maybe like important musicians of all time um in terms of like his his impact on music you think people just think about him as jazz and that's true like it is it is jazz broadly but he he kind of was at the forefront of all of these different movements in jazz with sort of like the exception of like avant-garde he didn't really go down that road too too much um in the same way like john coltrane would have or you know sure um, or net coleman but um but yeah so this this um record nefertiti um and like the the lead track on it nefertiti um it's sort of it's kind of like mid mid period for him it's like late i think it's late 60s maybe 68 ish or something and it's with his i'm gonna like nerd out for a little bit because <laughs> he he had these different eras of his band where it was the first sure. great quintet and the second great quintet and this is the second one um and it was it's he's on trumpet it's ron carter on bass um herbie hancock on piano wayne shorter on sax uh quartet not quintet right i'm not missing oh and wait did i get all of them anyone um, on dr- who's on drums uh oh tony williams yeah, okay. yeah tony williams. of course that's the most important one um and uh and that's like if we're talking like favorite bands of all time like including rock bands or whatever the miles davis second great quintet that's my favorite band of all time um and uh this song in particular is really cool it was um it's like a Miles Davis re- record, but this this song itself was written by the saxophone player uh, Wayne Shorter. Um, and what I like about this song is, uh, it's if you if you haven't listened to it, or I guess it'll play as part of the podcast. It's really weird to listen to because it's it's just this sort of repeating phrase over and over again, um, and the the sort of like philosophy behind it from what i can gather or whatever is it's it's a song in which the horns are the rhythm section and the rhythm section are the soloists kind of um where so it's it's or obviously it's ordinarily the other way around right that is yeah. like a big open your third eye kind of moment. yeah well and the, the story behind it is like wayne shorter was it was like five o'clock in the morning he was probably on god knows how many substances and this like he was sitting at a piano with like candlelight and it like came to him or something like that and then they they you know recorded it I don't know how much I love wrote. I love jazz lore. Like, oh yeah, just like the stories behind yeah, it's, it's performers insane. and yeah. the songs, like just. Uh...
Have you ever read the Miles Davis autobiography? Yeah, I have. Okay. I have it. It's been on my bookshelf for a very long time. And I think I tried to start it a couple of times and I just was like, I can't do this right now. It's it's a good read. Yeah, it's it's a good read. I think I don't know if I necessarily finished it because I I think like once the like late period stuff sort of started happening, I didn't really care so much, but. Um, yeah, there's there's really really great stories in there. Okay. Um, Isn't it but, him just like talking cash shit the entire time? More or yeah, less? kind yeah. of. Okay. Um, and and like talking shit not just like on people in his like he he like he chews out Art Blakey for like there's some some beef between him and Mingus <laughs> and like you know I there was some story with a cop I can't even remember exactly what it was but like. Uh, my favorite Miles Davis anecdote, though, this is kind of an aside, but my favorite one is um, this must have been later in his career, like like maybe early 70s. Um, and he had a, a back to back nights in San Francisco with the Steve Miller band. Have you heard this story? No. Oh, OK. Yeah, this is great. Um, and so Steve, I'm sorry. I was just like my eyes got really wide when he said the Steve Miller yeah. band and Miles Davis. I'm like, that doesn't seem right. Right. And this is what's well, that like the height of the Steve Miller band? Like, I guess like the Joker had just come out or whatever. I don't know what, what year that was. But um, so they, they play the first night and Miles, they have Miles opening for Steve Miller, which, again, is also insane on the face of it. <laughs> um, and after the show, like and this is all from the autobiography, but after the show, Miles is like, that was the worst like motherfucking musician that I've ever heard in my life. Like, he, <laughs> he hated that band. Um, like he, he was, he was insulted that they were playing music. And so he, he tried to like rearrange this, the, the, the bill basically so that he would go second. Yeah. And like the venue was like, no, like whatever. And so he just wound up showing up like four hours late <laughs> to, to the show. <laughs> Steve Miller had to open for him basically. And then he went on after Steve Miller, um, which I just, that's pretty, he's a, he's kind of a psychopath in a lot of ways, but I think sometimes it's funny and that's one of the funny ways. <laughs> um, but anyways, <laughs> so back to Nefertiti. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. This it's a, it's a song uh, that definitely like, throws a lot of the sort of tropes about how jazz works like upside down. Um, and again, I think as, as I was, I, so I, I grew up listening to jazz and I grew up playing jazz drums. Like that was my, that was my bread and butter for a long time. Um, this was a song that like uh, it, it, it 
definitely changed the way that I thought about drums, like as a melodic instrument, as something that can carry a song. Um, I think Tony Williams is playing, I mean, he's my favorite drummer of all time. And I think his playing on this song in particular is like, it's remarkable. Um, it's, it's subtle, but it's powerful. It's like, it's, you know, all those sort of dichotomies. Um, it's, it's, it's really, um, and I think, I think the, the, hook to it as well like what the horns are doing what miles is doing with with um wayne shorter is is really cool too it's like it's a it's a really good hook and the song's like seven minutes long and it flies by because it just it just kind again it's one of those ones that just kind of works overall it's got like a spooky it definitely has that sort of like late night to me it sounds like a late night song it's it's meandering and 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 kind of eerie I was um, I was listening to this album because uh, I I put all your tunes in a playlist that I could listen to uh, to prepare mm-hmm. for this and I was listening to this album as a whole um, partially the other night when I was reading on the couch and it was very late and I was like yeah this is big late night energy like totally. just like low light dark outside just like past your bedtime vibes yeah. and oh I, yeah I yeah really, I was into it yeah. And I think that's also like they. This is like a as again as an out. Al- I really like the idea of albums, you know, like full works. And I think the the art on the this album, if I'm remembering correctly, it's just like it's a close up photo of Miles Davis. That's like sort of sepia, but it looks like it looks like it could be candlelight or something yeah, like yeah. Where where he's you know, and I think that it really sets the the tone. And this is also this record i think sort of is a transition point for him as he sort of started to get more into like fusion music and stuff like that where he was even more aggressively bucking the norms of jazz with electronic instruments yeah, and yeah. distortion and all this kind of stuff which you know that's that's a whole i mean you you really could talk about miles davis in like it's a different it's a different project with each new era that he's kind of entering into um and and so that's a different different thing. But yeah, this I, I think that this record to me and that song in particular is it it opened up my eyes more to like the drums as an instrument rather than like as like a full instrument. You know, yeah. I think people I think drums is is uh, oftentimes just relegated to like oh yeah that's that's the rhythm. And I think people recognize that it's important, but um, I think it's it's capable of of being like the the focal point of a song, you know?
So we're kind of switching gears with this next one, and this was very like dream poppy shoegazy. Um, mm-hmm. Blue Smiley, and I had never heard of this band. Oh yeah. Um, but it's on Glass. So where are we, kind of in your life with this one, or like how do you like what is your access point with like this genre kind of genre? Yeah. This band's in particular. Yeah. This so Blue Smiley is kind of like a legendary Philly band. Okay. Um, like from the you know mid teens um and uh yeah they they were just like they you know kind of being in the same scene you know buddies and and you know a lot of i think it was a it was a band that i had heard of and then actually like one of my best friends started playing drums in the band and so i got to to see them and and hear them a lot it's just like they're the music that they make i think is uh i mean it's it's obviously it's like really kind of aggressive uh fuzzed out Mm -hmm. um but it's really pretty um at the same time um i think brian who's the the songwriter kind of like the he's the the impetus behind all the songs um he um he was a great musician um in his own right and i think he had a real knack for making these sort of like you know you could listen to it from the outside the songs are, are short they're all like two you know no more than two minutes long um and they sound simple but there's a lot happening there and and he always he worked with like some of the best musicians in philly and they just they were they were like they were loud and they were <laughs> cool and they're you know like real i don't know i think there's there's so many bands you know especially in philly but but maybe sort of across the country as well that that oh and i think swim camp is one of them in in some ways um that really owe a lot to blue smiley um because it's people listen to that and then are just sort of trying in their own way to recreate that that sort of magic that they had I think that their their last record um which is called bird i think um is i think it's their best like record overall um and this song to me i think is was the best song it was it was the most um i don't know it, it was one of the first ones that i that i like really felt like i kind of got it um which was a really cool feeling it, yeah and yeah so th- this there and I should also note the the Blue Smiley the the frontman Brian unfortunately passed away oh, wow. um uh, 
maybe in like 2017 or 2018. So it's been a little bit now. Um, but th- their legacy, I think, in, in Philly and, and beyond is like is still very strong um, in this scene. So I got to say, I'm just as somebody who lives in the Midwest and to sees like stuff unfolding on Twitter. I got to say mm. that the Philly music scene, it seems just like so great. Like there's y'all are just so tightly knit and there's so many different bands and everything I've heard is really great. And yeah. I'm just like, it's so impressed, like that kind of community like yeah it's just like it's really cool i think yeah there's 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 good things about it and then there's bad things about it you know just like anything else but um you know i think it i think it's funny you know i i didn't i grew up here but i i moved out of the out of the country for a while um after i graduated from from college and so i wasn't i wasn't in philly i wasn't in the scene for for a little bit um and my friends who were here were like yeah, there, there was no scene. Like it was like, they were like, yeah, I, you know, I, I would go to show, go to a show and be like, man, I wish there was like more of this, um, which is kind of insane to think about um, because now it's like, yeah, there's, there's stuff going on all the time. There's tons of cool bands. I like felt like for a while there was, you know, there were people on top in the Philly scene, whether it's Japanese breakfast and Alex G or, you know, whatever it is. And then there was, you know, all the, the, the shitty bands down at the bottom, you know, the swim camps and whatever. Um, and there was, it didn't feel like there was any of like the mid mid size bands, bands who were like gonna break out or whatever. And um, what's cool is like, it feels like there's a lot more, like there's a lot of movement, a lot of growth, a lot of uh, bands breaking out in Philly, uh, which is, is kind of cool to see. Um, it's like, it's, you know, being from here, I think I have my opinions on, because a lot of people like, they're like, oh man, Alex G's from Philly. I gotta go there to start my music project. And it's like, nah, dude, like just stay where you're at. It's fine. Like, don't come <laughs> here. <laughs> you know, like in a in a in a sort of like a, a gatekeepy kind of way, sure. which, is, which is maybe not cool, but um, but yeah. So I think there's there's definitely like a lot of cool stuff. And it, you know, being in a big city like this, there's there's tons of opportunities for young bands to to start playing shows. There's a especially pre-pandemic but you know it's i think it's sort of coming back um the the like house show like you could you could go any night and there's there's going to be house shows all over philly with bands that you've never heard of playing you know music sometimes it's cool and sometimes it's <laughs> um but it's 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 there and like yeah, that's, that's yeah. nice it, it made it very easy as like when i was first starting to play shows it made it really easy to get get booked which i know like a lot of people like struggled with that you know in other places so yeah shouldn't take that for granted
the next one is the last jazz one that you put on here. Yeah. Um, steps, what was. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, and this one is, like, this is, like, a, I mean, it's, like, 13 minutes. Yeah. Like, yeah. How, like of all the, of all your, um, your interest in jazz and kind of, like, the jazz you were exposed to through your formative years, like, where are we coming in with this one and yeah. how, like, how would this, this, is, this end up on the list? Yeah, this is sort of, like, prime, prime time like probably same era that I was getting into like Nefertiti and stuff like that. Um, so it's like high, you know, early high school with this stuff. And, um, I had a friend, uh, whose name is Billy, who was also a drummer. Um, and he burned me this, this CD, uh, it's the chick Korea trio. And I think the CD is called, is it called? Now he sings, now he stops. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Like totally blank there. Um, yeah, so now he sings, now he sobs. My friend burned it for me and gave it to me. And he was, he was the one who was kind of like, you know, like getting me hip to a lot of this stuff. Um, and this song, I think, um, it's really cool in the way that it's structured. Cause it's kind of, it's two different songs, basically. Like it's, there's a first half, um, and then there's like a break with a drum solo. And then there's a, a second half, which is functionally a different song. Um, and it's, it's, um, the Chikoria Trio, so it's Chikoria on piano. It's Miroslav Vitus or Vitus on uh, bass. I don't know how his name is. Pronounced. I just I just heard your cat. Oh yeah, yeah. chiming she's, in. He's getting up to trouble right now. Oh, hey, I like jazz. Yeah. Hey. yeah, 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 jazz cat. Um, and then the drummer is Roy Haynes, and uh, I think Roy Haynes, um, Roy Haynes and Tony Williams to me, I think are like two of the big, like the sort of shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> two, two of the the like pillars of the the jazz drumming world you know probably um um two of the more important guys to me um and but they're very different and and i think i think i really love roy haynes's playing on this um he had this he always or not always but on this record he played with like a flat ride and it just has this like really dry really like woody stick sound which i like love i just like really took to it sonically i was like that's what i want cymbals to sound like um and it's like all of his, all like, I don't know, this is sort of technical side of things. There's like a lot of like weird triplety things that are happening throughout his playing, which I just like really love. He's got a really active um, like hi-hat um, with his with his left foot, which is is really cool.
And then Chick Corea's playing is again R.I.P. Chick Corea. He died like somewhat recently. Um, his playing is just like unbelievable. He's he's doing a lot of really like it's it's sort of um, Latin infused jazz, I think you could say, um, and just in, it, with the the sort of like chord melodies that he's creating and all this kind of stuff. It's it's um, it's it's really beautiful. And then the so the second half of the song though is really like he, he's on this record um, called um, Captain Marvel by uh, it's by Stan Getz, who's a, a saxophone player. Um, and there's a song that Chick Corea wrote on that record called La Fiesta, um, which is like kind of like a, I think it's like one of the best jazz songs in the world. You know, it's, it's sort of maybe fusion-y, maybe jazz, who's to say. Um, but this this second half of, of Steps What Was is really like the first draft of La Fiesta. Like it's a really similar sort of progression overall. Um, and I think the way that it works in the context of the first half and everything, it just it's really satisfying for me to like, it's so stupid because it's jazz, but it's like I listen to this and I like feel like badass. I'm like, oh, fuck <laughs> that. You know, like, it just, it, it, like, it, like that gets me fired up. I've never had that experience with jazz. I should I should see if that happens for me. That's never yeah. a genre I go to, to if I want to like feel fired up or like Yeah, it's it, objectively it's like the dorkiest thing that you can possibly <laughs> do. But like for me, I'm like, hey man, that gets me going. You know? <laughs> You're like driving fast and not using your signal to yeah, merge to go between yeah. lanes and you're like, I'm untouchable, I'm listening to jazz. Yeah, it's like it's like you're driving through like North Philly late at night <laughs> and you roll your windows down, and you got the subwoofer going and just like <laughs> jazz playing. They're just like you gotta get out of here. The next one, Duster, your favorite indie band's favorite indie band from what yeah. I've been told. And I've, I mean, I, I am familiar enough with Duster, but like, is this kind of like what you're talking about in terms of like playing catch up with indie music when you were kind of like getting into it yeah. and introduced to it? Or like, at what point, I mean, at what point did you kind of decide that you wanted to pr- write and perform that kind of music? Yeah, I think I think it was so when I when I moved out of the country, I lived in the Czech Republic um, and I didn't have drums that I didn't like move with my drum set um, and I was kind of like missing music. So I picked up a, like a little like kid size guitar at like the music shop and like kind of taught myself how to play. And this was in like 2015. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to say like, how long were you, uh, how long were you out of the country for a couple of years? Yeah. In total, it was, it was like close to two years. Okay. Um, okay. Like kind of on and off. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and yeah, so, so while I was out of the country, I kind of just like got interested in, uh, in playing the guitar and I'd never, I didn't take guitar lessons or anything like that. And the way that I would like teach myself would just be to like learn songs. Um, and I had this, like one of my best friends, college roommate, um, named Derek, who was into all of, all of those indie bands, you know, and he was kind of, he had his ear to the ground on, on all the cool stuff. And so he would kind of introduce me to a lot of the, that, that type of music. Um, and then kind of, as I started to learn how to play, I started to learn how to play more songs. And like, I just like sort of developed a love for it, um, on its own. Right. Not with any real like specific, um, designs or anything like that. And then I got back, to the states like right before alex g released um beach music and alex and i like grew up together um we're from the same town and i knew that he was like doing music stuff and that he was doing well but i didn't really have any conception of it and then he released that and i listened to it and i was like holy shit like it, it really like blew me away um and so it was whenever that like i think that would have been in 20 late 20 15 or 2016 or something like that, which was when I like really was like, okay, I want to like be in a band now. Um, because yeah, it was, I was just like very moved and motivated by, by him and, and his music and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, and then Duster, I would say, probably came to me maybe a you know year or two later. Um, and I think, yeah, the song that I chose, Inside yeah, Out, Inside Out, yeah, yeah, is it's like kind of like standard. Like it's it's probably their most popular song, if I had to guess. Um, it's it's just like a it's a song in which I mean, you could say this about basically all Duster songs, in which like nothing happens. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's the rift. They play it. They sing. They sing like three lines in it, and like that's the end. I mean, um, Duster is the kind of band that's more about cultivating a vibe than anything else. Yeah, I think. It's, like no, it's, no, no. I, I yeah. fully agree. It's 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 music to me. Like I I said earlier, like I'm not like a lyrics guy, and maybe that comes from you know growing up with jazz and whatever. But like, it's not something that I've ever really paid attention to. The only time that I like really notice lyrics on like a first listen is like if it's bad and if it like takes <laughs> me out of it, you know. Um, and uh and duster i think for me is is it's it's like textural music like the it's recorded so shittily but in a way that's like so it's like there's like an asmr quality almost to it where it's just like you hear the tape noise you hear the flutter you hear the you know all of the imperfections um and it really does make the the record and i think this song is is a kind of the textbook example of what that 
that looks like and what that sounds like. And I think Duster for me, like as a, as a musician, you know, similar maybe to, to, you know, how Alex kind of was a, a motivating factor, you know, instrumental in me starting, I think Duster was like really clarifying for me. Cause I had all of these ideas about what I wanted swim camp to be. And then when I started getting more into like slow core and music like this, it was like, Oh, that's what I wanted to be like. And it kind <laughs> of like, it helped me sort of like refine my own sound and what I, what I wanted it to, to, to be overall. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've just the entire time that since I've listened to Duster, I'm just trying to rip Duster off. Um, <laughs> and it's impossible to, they, like you really can't, they're, they're such a, they're a weird fucking band. Um, it sounds so, it sounds like nothing is happening, but it's like, again, then you kind of like analyze it and like all of their, all of their phrases are super weird lengths. Like they don't have like eight bar phrases or 16 bar phrases. It's like, Oh, here's like a, an 11 bar phrase and then a 17 bar phrase. And it just, it works. And it just like, there's so much, truly there is so much happening. Um, but they present it all in this like really downtrodden, like, uh, almost like it's like effortless, but in the cool way. of Yeah. Yeah. It is like, I mean, it is very dense. And when you start to analyze it, you can see how dense it is and how complicated it can be. But it is like, it's so, dusty sounding and like yeah. ramshackle sounding and that's kind of my favorite kind of indie music or like da- like downer indie rock is just like it always sounds like it's on the verge of falling apart mm-hmm. because it's yeah. not like it's so barely held together but it, it somehow it, continues to move forward i th- i think that is the most compelling i i agree i think i think that's why like the first duster record, they, they like sound like demos. Like it doesn't sound like finished songs. Um, and that's my, those are my, I like demos. Like when you listen to, if you've ever listened to a swim camp song, there's like a 99, no, not 99, probably like a 93% chance that that's the first, that is the demo. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a mixed and mastered song, but it's a demo. It's not, it's not something that I, ever professionally recorded or anything like that because that's what I like music to sound like.
Paul Simon and Graceland. And this yeah. is just, I mean, iconic slice of the 80s, but also for his career and for like contemporary popular music. So mm-hmm. growing up in a jazz household, were you like, did your parents listen to a lot of like Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel or how are we like, where, how is this one getting on the list? In yeah, totally. It's importance. They, they both loved uh, uh, Paul Simon. I think actually Paul Simon's like brother or something was like my dad's guitar teacher when he was a little kid. My dad grew up in the, in the Bronx. Um, okay. Shout out to the Bronx. Yeah. 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 I think there's some <laughs> connection there. Uh, I can't totally remember, but yes, yeah, this, this song in particular comes from my mom. Um, this was a song that she and I, uh, and the, the record overall, like, I don't remember what year it was, but I was, I was probably like late teens, early twenties. Um, and, uh, we would just like listen to it in the car. Like anytime we were driving anywhere, we would listen to Graceland, the record. Um, and this song I think is the best song on that record. Um, and I like, it's so funny cause I was like talking uh, so much about how I'm not a lyrics guy and like Paul Simon, I think is probably like the biggest exception to that. Like I, I love Paul Simon's lyricism. I think he is like, he's on some like next level, like, you know, there's some weird crazy shit going on in his head where it's, it just like, it's clever without it being like too clever. It's emotional without it being overwrought. It's um, it's funny without it being like stupid. I don't know. He, he, he really kind of strikes a perfect balance. Um, and this song in particular is just like, it's, it's really like, it's like a road song, you know, it's like, it's like all about traveling and whatever. Um, and it's, it's, feels really sad and, and, and somber at points. And it feels really like, you know, happy and excited at points. And like, that's what being on the roads, like, you know, yeah. like that's what, that's what it is. Um, it's, it's, you, you kind of experience everything. We are going to Graceland. Am I traveling fast? and empty sockets. I'm looking at ghosts and empties. But I herself a human trampoline sometimes when i'm falling flying tumbling in turmoil i say whoa so this is what she means she means we're bouncing into graceland and i see losing love is like a window in your heart well, everybody sees your flaws Everybody feels the wind blow
there's like a whole sort of, I think like the plot of the song is, is something along the line. It's, it's him and his daughter and figuring out their relationship and, you know, kind of putting the pieces together um, with him, I'm assuming being on the road a lot. And for whatever reason that, that really kind of clicks with my brain and it just, it, 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 there's like the, the repeated, I guess it's a chorus or something along, along those lines is there's, I'm trying to remember the line. Um, uh, losing love is like a window in your heart. Everyone can see when you're blown apart or something along those lines. And it's just like, Oh, it's devastating. Um, and, and yeah, this is, this is a really, I think this is probably my favorite song of all time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I mean, with all, like, I mean, with all of these songs on here, is this stuff that you like listen to regularly, like for leisure or like to have on or, you know, when you're doing other stuff? Um, or is this just kind of like the things that you went to in terms of like the impact that it's had on you? Like, do you regularly sit down with Paul Simon or like do you regularly toss on this Miles Davis record or is are these just like moments, like specific snapshots? Yeah, I think I think like some of them with the jazz in particular, I go through like big phases with jazz where I listen to a lot of it and and really I'm like I I would say like recently I have not been listening to to a ton of jazz um it was like it sucks I had all this jazz on my on my old like desktop desktop computer in my iTunes library and then like that computer crashed and now I don't have any of this music oh no yeah and I'm just like I don't even remember half the shit that I don't remember you know um but, but yeah, so I would say jazz is definitely like, it's, it's not an all the time thing for me. Um, but like, you know, even like, yeah, the sting, the, the Peter Gabriel, the Paul Simon, I'll listen to that, you know, just on a lark and like blue smiley is probably my number one, like listen to song, you know, band on Spotify and Duster's probably not far behind. So okay. yeah. Yeah. So we're getting into the last two, and I mean, this is again we're drastically switching gears, especially yeah. with the Aphex Twin album, which is just like a hodgepodge of material. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to like I was staring when I was waiting for you to get into the uh, recording session. I was staring at this playlist on my other screen, and I was like, "How I know that none of the titles on this album are meant to be really be pronounced." Yeah. Kind of like, how do you say this? Is yeah, it like Vord Hosbin? Yeah, and I was like. That sounds like something you'd purchase at Ikea, but <laughs> it does, um, yeah. 
Uh, so, I mean, this is like unlike anything else that we've been talking about so far. So in terms of like electronic music, specifically FX Twin, mm-hmm. how did this one end up on here? Specifically like something from this album that he was allegedly putting together is like to get out of his record contract or whatever. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, I think like Aphex twin. Uh, I mean, I, I like a lot of electronic music. Um, I think he's, he's obviously like sort of legendary. There's all these, this like sort of mystique around. There him. is like, he does. Hey, he has like such a, yeah, it's like a weird persona and like, it's very shadowy. And is he making music under other names and right. releasing it and everything? It's just like, yeah, it's, I think the mythology around Aphex twin at times eclipses the, his output in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it, it sort of is like, it, it, it kind of like necessary, like the, the, the legend or the sort of mythology around him is so like insane. Like the, the story of him, like, like, you know, circuit bending, uh, I don't even remember. It was like a calculator or something. And when he was eight years old at some like festival or something, and he won this, you know, like prizes, like he's like some like, you know, uh, you know, circuit bending prodigy or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, okay, what are we talking about? Here? Um, but you know, that said, I mean, I think, I think he, I mean, he is like he is one of the most confusing musicians of all time for me because because he has he has songs that are like the most beautiful, haunting, you know, if it's an ambient song or if it's a piano piece yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, you know, nice. like a lot of people know that Avril 14th now because Kanye sampled it, but it's yeah. they don't know that it's Aphex Twin. And it's yeah, like, yeah. They think it's just like a cool thing that Kanye did. And it's like, well, that's yeah, that's the guy. Um, but then he also there's a, has a, there's a couple on this album that are like that and they're just like, yeah. so moving and then it's just yeah like, yeah yeah wild and I think, that he was just like tossing all this off as just a contractual obligation yeah and 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 uh i think the thing with Aphex Twin, i i had so many friends who were like really into his music and they were like you gotta you know you gotta like and i would try and i'd be like i can't get it like i don't have my in i can't figure out how to listen to this because it's 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 so jarring from the outside. You're just like, I mean, it is very confrontational, like uh, the come to daddy and Mm -hmm. window, even window liquor. It's just kind of like, if you're not in the right place for it, or if it comes to you at the wrong time, it's like, Ooh boy, what? I don't know what this is, but no, thank you. Yeah. And I think, I think like growing up when I did, he was, he was, you know, he was around, like he was, people were talking about him, but I think it was all that, like come to daddy where it's like the music video with him, like superimposed onto all these different bodies and then like the like screaming people and all that shit. And it was like, as an eight year old, I was like, this is fucking scary as shit, dude. Like, I don't know what this is. I mean, I Uh, was, I mean, I was in my teens and that was like, I watched a lot of like the 120 minutes and like the short lived mm -hmm. um, electronic video program on MTV amp. And it was like Mm -hmm. all over that. And I was just kind of like, I don't know what's happening here, but this is terrifying to me. And I like, I would always see like big reviews of his music and like Rolling Stone and be like, Oh, everyone loves Aphex Twin. And I'm like, that's that guy. That's a scary mm-hmm. video. I'm not banging with that. Like, no, th- no, thank you.
Yeah, I remember I read some, there was some like list. And this was again, I was probably like a little kid when I was reading this. And it was like Easter eggs in music. And he was famous because he put, I don't know what song it was, but there's some, if you, if you do like an EQ visualization or something on this one song that he has, it, it, and it sounds like, I think just like static or something. And then, but the EQ image that you see is like the famous, like Aphex twin, like Kubrick stare, you know, oh, brother, that's and just, it was like, I was like on, that's bro. so scary. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but again, apparently the, the thing with that is like, he's just like a weird guy and like, doesn't really know how to smile. Like that is <laughs> what I've heard about that. Um, he does have a Kubrick stare. It is just, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. So with this one though, like, I mean, this is very aggressive, like mm-hmm. very like of its time electronic music. So from all of his body of work how did you land on this one yeah i think i think one thing that i um that i've always loved about apex twin and but i've never really until someone else said it i didn't really realize that it was what i loved about a lot of his music there's a drummer uh whose name's mark juliana um and he was interviewed and he's he's like a pretty famous guy and, and he was interviewed and they were like who are you know who are your biggest influences in drumming or whatever and he said Aphex Twin was was his favorite drummer of of all time or whatever and it wasn't until I thought about like because you just think about electronic music as like a, I, I would think about it as a whole it's like you're doing the whole thing whatever it's you're making a song um but especially like after hearing that it was like listening to the drums that he writes and that he programs and the the, the sort of patterns and the um, and a lot of it is is stuff that happens by by happen happenstance if it's a randomized sort of thing or whatever. But a lot of it is him going in and, and programming and, yeah. and making those sounds and making the the patterns. And this song I think is like is one is just the coolest song on drums that he has. Um, I think this song is is a real banger. Um, and it's like you, you're right. I think it is it is it's up tempo. It's upbeat it's pretty aggressive, but then there is, there's like, and I think the, the really great Aphex Twin songs have this, where it is this sort of, there's this chaos to it. And then there's this, like, there's like a lift, there's like a, an energy on top of it. And it's like a held synth liner. If it's, you know, this has a lot of like reverbed out, you know, um, high pitch stuff that's happening throughout the song. Um, and it just takes it to another place. Um, especially, and, and, and the way for me, the way in which the sort of like chaos of the drums and that sort of more uh, melodic, beautiful stuff, the way that that kind of interacts on this song, I think is, is really underrated. This song, I think, I think Aphex Twin, you know, he's got, he's got a lot of famous songs. This one isn't like, I wouldn't say it's one of his like famous songs. And I think that it's, it's slept on to a certain extent. You know, I, I mean, could this, put... this album is famously like incredibly polarizing. Yeah. I love of... it. I think it's great. I yeah. mean, people kind of think this is now 20 years old ish. And so I think people went back and revisited it and kind of reassessed it. And I, obviously because the one song is sampled um, in the Kanye West song, but it's that song is also sampled on a, a Saturday Night Live like Lonely Island song. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and so I think people started to revisit it then and rethink it, like think about it again then.
up with something more recent very somber i was listening to this album earlier today and i was really into it so the band florist and the song m and how are we getting into this one yeah um this is i was like kind of trying to figure out because i think to me like double double whammy which is is the label that florist is on they've been like a very influential label for me uh yeah they have a lot of they have a lot of good stuff yeah, like everything they release. It's like one of those few labels where it's like, even if I have no clue who the band is, when it's released on Double Double Whammy, I'm like, it's good. I'll listen to it, you know? Um, and and so I was just kind of looking for a uh, like a stand-in for all of Double Double Whammy, and this <laughs> song kind of came to me. It could have been, been Howdy. It could have been, you know, um, any number of things. But um, I really, I mean, I love Florist. I think that... that um, Emily, who's who's the the songwriter. Um, she, I mean, she also has she does ambient music as well, and it's it's absolutely beautiful under her own name, um, Emily Sprague. But then, um, oh, I've seen that name before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, her, her the writing in Florist, I think, is and this this song and this record in particular is like so. It's it's like one of those for me. It's like that that um, it's heartbreaking and it it feels like itching a mosquito bite of heartbreak or something where it's like, it's, it hurts, you know, it hurts to listen to because she's, she's singing about the loss of her mom and, and her life, you know, in, in, you know, the, the, the time since her mom has died. Um, and especially this record is, is like, it's just her, you know, it's not yeah, it yeah. Isn't her band. It's, it's, it's just her and her, and her guitar and whatever. And, um, so it, it hurts, but it, it feels really good in the hurt. You know, it feels good to, to kind of get in there and to, to, to be in that space and to let the, the music kind of take you there. Um, this song was was really I, I like I think it was pretty inspirational for me, even like production wise as well as I was working on my record. Um, I kind of kept referring back to this and just sort of um the sparseness that the you know the the yeah, way that, yeah. that the song is is sort of laid out um is something that i tried to to emulate i think something that i get nervous about in music is uh like when i'm making music is you know if there's too much downtime in a song like people are going to lose interest or if there's not something happening all the time like it's 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 going to like lose people and I listen to this and I'm just like on the edge of my seat the whole time. And I'm like, that's how you do it. That's how you build space. That's how you allow stuff to breathe and, you know, ref- you know, gives people time to, to sit with it and reflect and whatever. And I just think that it's, again, from like a songwriting perspective, it's just perfect. Your hands on my Sleep. 
Yeah, I really, I really like the intimacy in this mm-hmm. tune, and um, like, yeah. So this is one of the another thing about the podcast and the music people pick is just like aside from the overlap in certain people who pick certain things and you know it's just different walks of life coming together yeah, yeah. in tunes it's like i've been turned on to so many cool things oh or like have heard so many cool things yeah that I otherwise would have never probably found on my own over the last three years thanks to the people that i talked to so this was one that i when i was playing this this playlist i got got to this one and i was like i like this album and i'm gonna like i'm gonna check this band out because this is like i'm oh, really yeah. feeling this yeah, their their earlier work is definitely a little bit more like uh, poppy overall. Okay. Um, it's not it's not like pop music. I guess maybe bedroom <laughs> pop or something like. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's it's all auto tune. Um, yeah, is, real dancey. Um, I was like, is it like Ariana Grande? Because I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's just like it's more fully. You know, it's it's a band. It's there. Sure. Um, and it's it's but it's it's still really cool. I think this one, you know, for me hits the hardest but that's not to say like i think the earlier record i might like the i think it's called the birds outside the window sang um that record i think i like it's like more enjoyable to listen okay, to. okay. yeah so I, I would start there but i think floris is awesome they just announced a new record too i think for the fall so um, yeah, I saw that when I was looking looking them up on the thing yeah. got a new one coming out soon um so we made it through your 10 and before we sign off like I know the, I mean, you put out a record roughly a year ago. Yeah. What are your plans for swim camp? Like what is the rest of this year look like, or in terms of like things for the next year, like yeah. performing, putting out any more material or like what, like what is your immediate future with the project? That's a really good question, Kevin. <laughs> and um, you're like, no comment, bro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there are things potentially in the works that I'm not necessarily equipped to talk about. Okay. So- but what I can say generally is, yes, I do have um, music that I'm that I'm working on that I'm excited to be able to share. I'm hoping I'm hoping to have stuff, you know, within a certain amount of time and be as, as vague as possible. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, You're like you know, in, the, in the next couple of months, there might be more music. Who knows? <laughs> that you, truly. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, there's. Um, you know, I, I, I have, I have a lot of music that I'm, I'm, I'm ready to share with. Okay. All right. So things are, things are happening. Yeah. And, uh, as as far as tours and stuff, there's nothing, um, nothing on the books at the moment, but we're looking at potentially, um, doing some stuff in the new year. Okay. Um, Scheduling and stuff got weird for, um, for the fall, unfortunately, but so yeah, stay, stay tuned. Um, there's definitely, I have, I have like non-swim camp related things that I'll be uh, announcing soon enough. Um, but uh, but other than that, yeah, that's sort of the news on. Swim. Okay. So yeah, love it. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else we you want to talk about or get into or touch on before we like before we wrap up or do we do we cover everything you want to talk about? This was such yeah. a great conversation. It's really cool. To, like whether it's just like a fun like unhinged conversation about music that i have with people because that is often the case with the podcast Mm. or if it's just like when i talk to people who like let me tell you about these production values or like Mm -hmm. let's talk about the the you know let's break this song down by the instrumentation this is just such a fascinating like music based conversation and i I'm, i'm very appreciative of like the 
attention to detail that you have within these songs and that you can uh, articulate yourself uh, about. Yeah, I, I, I think I, uh, I pretty rarely talk about music because um, I think like as a musician, it's sort of the last thing that most people want to listen to. <laughs> you know, it's like, who the fuck cares? Ultimately, I'm just some jack off who doesn't know anything more than anyone else. Right. I mean, that's uh, how I feel too. Like I, I went at the end of the day, like with the, yeah. podcast, with the writing, I'm like, who, I mean, no one wants to hear me talk about this stuff. But. Yeah. So like, yeah. So, but it's nice to talk about, you know, I like getting, I like kind of, uh, unpacking stuff that I like, yeah, this is not, I had no, I had no notes. I had nothing written down. This was all just off the, the dome and it's, but it's nice to be able to like revisit a lot of, yeah, these, no, this these is great. Yeah. That are really, that have impacted me throughout my life and will continue to impact me. Um, and now this podcast will be intrinsically linked with all of those songs. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So people can, people can, people can learn and open their third eye and be like, yo, I didn't think about it like that. Oh yeah. I love yeah. it. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I have anything else, you know? Um, I think, I think generally, you know, listen, listen to music, listening to music is good. If you have friends who make music, listen to your friends' music and support them, even if it sucks. Um, <laughs> I would say like, especially if it sucks, to be honest, because they probably need the support more than the people who don't suck. Um, be, be nice to people. And uh, yeah, those, those are words. Those are words to live by. Um, yeah. Cool. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night for chopping it up with me and for picking up, you know, picking 10 songs and, I mean, this was such a great conversation. So, so thank you again. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I cool. That is a song called Thread. It is from the album Fishing in a Small Boat, which was released roughly a year ago. My thanks again to Tom Morris for chopping it up with me and bringing such a delightfully eclectic mix of tunes onto the show to talk about. If you are interested in listening to more Swim Camp or learning more about Tom and the project, uh, you can listen to his output. You can stream it on Spotify or whatever, or you can go onto Bandcamp and take a listen, swimcamp.bandcamp.com. Or you can find him on Twitter. He is camp underscore swim. That's going to do it for the show today thank you for being here you could be listening to any other podcast and you've chosen this one so i'm very appreciative i am still kevin krein i am still literally your boy kebby fly this has been the anhedonic headphones podcast it is of course the audio extension of the 
music analysis and criticism website anhedonicheadphones.blogspot.com which is wrapping up its ninth year why would anyone let me do that for nine years i have no idea somebody should have intervened at this point if you are moved to do so please subscribe or like or leave a review not even a five-star review i mean you can be honest and be like this podcast is trash but i still listen but uh i am available this show is available in spotify apple podcasts google podcasts iHeartRadio, all the usual places all the usual faces You know the vibes. But do the vibes know you? That is a question I will leave you with. Thank you again for listening. If you're interested in following me or learning more about me, you may find me on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Kev E. Fly. Until next time, continue to wash your hands. Continue to wear a mask. Please do not forget that black lives still matter. And adopt. Don't shop. Thank you.